I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch Families Fight Around the Holidays. doing pretty good uh how was your christmas (laughs) my christmas was fantastic uh i'm of course speaking in the past tense because christmas has already happened uh that is a thing that is a fact yep so for christmas i did what i do every year which is get get my tank get my get all my guns and you know started my war uh against christmas in the in my neighborhood you gotta start um, small. Well, yeah, you hope that, you know, all of us godless heathens are doing our part and, you know, declaring full on war against Christmas. And I gotta tell you, this was a rough year for it. Normally, we're able to stop Christmas for like 60, 70% of our neighborhood, fully backed by the police and the judicial system. I wanna underline yeah. that. And this year, I gotta tell you, everyone's like, what's the point? This is probably gonna be the last year of the war on Christmas. I don't see what we're doing out here, and so it's kind of depressing. Yeah, sure, I, you know, stole a few people's trees, burned down a few houses, you know, uh, told everyone that Jesus wasn't real that I saw, you know, normal war on Christmas stuff. Switched out a nativity scene with a baby Jesus for a baby demonic goat. Yeah, I mean, all the normal stuff. I kind of feel like this year, since Trump has been elected, I kind of feel like this year is uh, we're like those Japanese soldiers who nobody told that the, the war ended. Yeah. And so we just keep fighting on. And, you know, we know the war is lost, but we're not just going to give up. Uh, that's how I feel about the war on Christmas. Because So you had, so you had, a, you had a good war. You were like, I'm, I'm going to have one last big blowout while I make sure Christians are unable to celebrate the birth of their savior. Mm-hmm. It's a noble war. I think it's the last noble war that America has fought is the war on Christmas. Yeah. I should be clear. Every other war has been bad. 100%. Yeah. Because war on Christmas is seasonal work. I got to tell you. The rest of the time, we're just declaring war on America in general. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. War on drugs. War on poverty. Poverty. Um, war on just everything else that doesn't isn't covered by war on poverty and war on drugs. When, the band's you... war on drugs. Oh. <laughs> like bread? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I don't care. If, I, I. I. don't support either war on drugs. <laughs> I think. I, I think they're good, but um. Wait. The, morally, the, I can't. The DEA. Morally, I can't which one? The DEA or the band? 
I think the D E A R G R E A T great. G R A A T. Just yeah, it's it's good. Okay, well, it's all right. So, so actually, <laughs> so actually, I, we're we're of course just joshing around because uh, we we're haven't not. started our war on Christmas yet because we're recording this on December 9th because we are going to be with our families uh, ruining their Christmas for the holiday season. It's a grassroots war. It is. It's the war at home. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you guys are hearing this uh, on December 31st, if everything goes to plan. But obviously, we are pre-recording. It's been a while since we pre-recorded uh, an episode. Episode. Uh, but if you listen last week, we had Joseph J. Finn on talking about Black Christmas. We don't know how that episode went uh, yet. So we are going to do something. Uh, we've done it a couple times before. Um, where we basically come up with some scenarios of how we think the show is going to go. Thank Joseph, give one of our likely scenarios, and then once we get to the final edit, we'll just, you know, this is not for uh, you guys, this is for us. This is just us to get some editing options of things we think are pretty likely to happen so that we can, you know, be good hosts and reference not just our gratitude to Joseph, but like a specific instance that everyone will know occurred. A continuity is being built. Exactly. Now this is our own little yeah. our own little universe. Yep. So if you're listening, you you might be thinking, "Hey, uh, I've listened to a lot of episodes. They part of their normal opening is never thanking the previous guest from the previous week." And I gotta tell you, through 35 episodes of editing snafus, we've edited it out every time. But it, I gotta tell you, it really is part of our normal <laughs> technique. So don't ask any questions. I feel like asking questions is kind of disingenuous on the part of a listener. Yeah. Stop using your brain. Just trust us. If our podcast teaches you everything, it's to turn off critical thinking <laughs> and just let the experience wash over you. <laughs> yeah. So I can I can start with what I think is probably most likely to happen. And that's just, hey, thank you so much for joining us last week, Joseph. We had a great time. It was great to be able to talk about Black Christmas with you. And I hope you had a great Christmas yourself. So that's one possibility. I doubt that'll happen. I mean, it's, it's possible. Um, I have another one right here. Uh, thank you so much for joining us last week, Joseph. Uh, I want to reiterate that we did believe you when you said you knew all the lyrics to Brian Adams, Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman? You didn't need to prove it. I feel like he kind of had a chip on his shoulder because of that rejection at Juilliard last summer. And, and that's why he needed to sing the 1995 hit. Have you ever really loved a woman by Brian Adams? Is that the one from uh, Robin Robin Hood? No, it is not. What's the one from Robin Hood? That's everything I do, I do it for you. Oh, uh, how could I confuse those two titles? And there's also one from The Three Musketeers, which was with Sting and Rod Stewart. Or as I call <laughs> it, the three coolest guys on the face <laughs> of the earth. <laughs> wow, that is, in retrospect, the whitest, lamest soundtrack ever. So yeah. wait, hold on. The, the, what was the name of the Brian Adams song you just named? Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman? And you should know because Joseph, once again, sang it in his entirety last week. Yeah, yeah. You know how the brain just kind of shuts things down at some point? I don't remember any of that. <laughs> uh, the brains have a way of shutting these things down. No, I know. Um, <laughs> I keep thinking this is our first episode today. <laughs> well, Joseph picked a great song to sing because we all know the rhythm to it. Can you just sing it for us, Aaron? Uh, I'm no Joseph J. Finn. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You weren't even rejected We'll, we'll, pi- we'll pipe it. We'll, answer your we'll, letter. Yeah, no, we'll pipe in the entire song right here. <laughs> 
We don't need to be silent for it. That's not how editing works, Peter. <laughs> I thought it would be easier for you if there was a little, little, actually, little nugget of silence. It would actually be much harder. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for coming on the show last week, Joseph. But next time, wear some pants, please. Uh, I know this is audio only recording, so theoretically it shouldn't matter, but we can tell. Um, especially when you say, man, it feels so liberating to record without pants. Also, every time we stood up. It's very strange. You're like, hey, can you hear this by the mic? <laughs> yeah. What? Did something bump the microphone again? I just stood up. <laughs> He's always bragging about having genitals. It's a really dis- disconcerting thing. Yeah. it's it's that's, He starts that thread every single day. Uh, what did you watch last night? Uh, I have a penis. <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you so much for joining us last week joseph uh correction dander is an informal term for a material shed from the body of various animals including humans which have fur hair or feathers dasher is the name of one of santa's reindeer wow that's really really helpful aaron thank you very much for looking that up and not looking it up on the podcast uh yeah well i didn't have time you know my my search my Google search fingers, they get tired. Yeah, it happens. I never stop cracking my knuckles on the podcast. By about an hour in, they're basically non-functioning appendages. <laughs> I would love to have non-functioning appendages. I got great news. That is about the easiest thing that you could possibly accomplish. Just have an accident. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show last week, Joseph. Uh, and I hope that rash you were describing in Cronenbergian detail has stopped pulsating. It was weird when paired with your pants situation. Yeah, the whole thing was weird. There was a lot of anatomical description going on, and I f- feel like the show, we kind of just, we're just voices, you know? We're just voices in the ether. So we don't want Joseph to come on a third time, <laughs> right? That's what we're As- saying? Assuming this situation happens, <laughs> that means this will be Joseph's final visit. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for joining us last week, Joseph. Uh, quick correction. The full name of the movie we covered last week is Just Black Christmas. Uh, it is not, as I insisted, uh, White Christmas 2, Black Christmas. <laughs> That'd be an awesome title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. That's what I thought. Um, I thought this was a direct sequel to uh, White Christmas. And it is. And I thought it was so direct that it was included in the title. Uh, turns out I just had a vandalized copy of the Blu-ray. Vandals will stop at nothing to ruin your cinematic experience, huh? The Amazon bandits. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us last week, Joseph. I want to offer our sincere apologies that our opening segment was another hour of us uh, ranting about the election results. And uh, really a double apology that every time you tried to participate, we shouted you down by saying, This is Aaron and Pete time! <laughs> we're still processing. Is what yeah, we're, saying, we're all we're sorry. We're all still processing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, thank you very much for coming on the show last week, Joseph. Uh, your decision to voice the entire show uh, in the Black Christmas distorted voice was revolutionary for the show, and I think we'll end up cutting everything that you set out. But it did inspire me to do the rest of this show in a Don Pardo voice. Okay, is that going to start right now? Yes, it is. <laughs> That's, you know, we had that thing about like impressions everyone can do. Someone should have put Don Pardo. <laughs> <laughs> it's just speaking like this. <laughs> Live from Chicago, some dude in his underwear. <laughs> He's standing up again. <laughs> this, I got to tell you, between this and 
our New York accents. I think we got a full-on comedy bang bang going on. <laughs> oh, we got we got the bang and the bang. Yeah, you got the and, comedy bang bang going on, baby. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for joining us last week. Joseph, a uh, quick correction. Uh, Leonard Cohen was a famous singer-songwriter, not the inspiration for John Mayer's Your Body is a Wonderland. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. Live and learn. Yeah, the more you know, man. <laughs> Every time I saw him, I thought, Your Body is a Wonderland. It just made sense. Your brain just makes connections. It doesn't yeah. really, you know. Yeah. The brain is a mystery. Sometimes your brain makes connections, vandalizes the Wikipedia page, and then it's and then incepts itself to think it's real. <laughs> Lots of things happen when you're out living life. <laughs> living the American dream, yeah. which is lying to thousands of people <laughs> yeah. for minutes at a time. <laughs> yep. Minutes. Oh my god, I don't know what wonderful utopia you're living on. Hours, <laughs> days. Um, thank you very much for coming on the show last week, Joseph. Uh, the SS Minnow, Joseph. What ship took them all to Gilligan's Island? The SS Minnow. Yeah, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you so much for joining us last week, Joseph. And thank you for that in-depth description on how digestion works. Uh, I think Peter and I learned a lot, and we're going to be a lot less casual about throwing around the term shit sandwich. <laughs> Also, your um, insistence on referring to vomiting, and you referred to vomiting way more than you needed to, as reverse peristalsis was anatomically correct, though kind of unnecessary. I mean, we kept saying that technically it was part of digestion, but I don't think it's like 75% of the material. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for coming on our show last week, Joseph. I think we can all agree that Jojo Bobo is a funny name. Even if technically it's not the name your parents gave you. Technicalities are just so technical. He kept saying, that's not my name. Close enough. That's my, that was my position last week. It's my position this week. It feels good to say, so it must be true. Yeah. So lighten up, Jojo Bobo. (laughs) I didn't find it irritating at all. I mean, you said it twice now and I'm not totally irritated now. Imagine listening to last week's episode. (laughs) Oh man, I can't wait to be there. Um, all right. Thank you very much for coming on the show last week, Joseph. I'm not sure why you kept attributing the quote, God is dead and we're alone to Doris Day, but I can find no accreditation on that <laughs> anywhere. Um, thank you so much for being on our show last week, Joseph. Quick correction. Steve Urkel's catchphrase from Family Matters was, did I do that? Not the Holocaust is a lie. He uh, must have watched a very different Family Matters. Not the canon Family Matters. <laughs> no. <laughs> You gotta get the, you gotta get the DC man. Get that director's cut. The director's cut of Family Matters. Yeah, where every the only difference is that every time he says, "Did I do that?" He just says, "The Holocaust was a lie." <laughs> and there's like twice as much clapping and laughing. People love it. They can't get enough of that <laughs> Urkel. All right. Thank you very much for coming on the show last week, Joseph. Your bizarre inclusion to the Santa mythology was not found anywhere on the internet. Uh, Santa does have a magic snowball, uh, as we found out last week's Krampus episode, but not a magic eight ball. Uh, That mall Santa was having you act as what is commonly referred to as a drug mule? Uh, I'm sorry, Joseph. So, a couple things here. First, no. Two... That Wait episode was. The episode. <laughs> well, is that that was three weeks to everyone? So no matter what the edit is, I don't think anyone's gonna remember. Yeah, just uh, you really took us down to a dark place. <laughs> Doesn't appreciate the human Peter has a way of shutting these things down. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> um, uh, 
Thank you very much for coming on the show last week, Joseph. It's great to hear that you came around on Home Alone and it is now your favorite movie of all time, let alone Christmas movie. Good for you, man. I'm so proud that you were able to admit that you were wrong. <laughs> and um, what's great about this is that you've already, at this point that this has come out, recorded that episode. So if for some reason it's not on the audio, we can just say right now, we'll say it right here. You said it to us after the show off camera because you were like, and hey, like, why is there cameras here? <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, we, we heard you were whipping out that dick. Yeah. You're whipping out that D. <laughs> <laughs> we heard you were whipping out that dick. Whipping out that D. <laughs> this podcast has become very different lately. <laughs> um, a lot more voices. Uh, we're trying some yes! new stuff, guys. <laughs> Pull your pants up! Don't ever let anyone tell you you're not afraid to try new stuff. <laughs> In uh, Christmas tradition, my uh, terrible accent of Don Pardo is now turning into... Uh, Marley I want a pizza pie! <laughs> no, it's turning into Marley and Marley from the Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh. Marley and Marley! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> you want to watch a Saturday Night Live? <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about uh, New Year's Evil? <laughs> hey, I'm hey just Luigi, a... why don't you, uh, why don't you do uh, talk about Fate or something really boring for the kids? Yeah, why don't you talk about New Year's Evil? <laughs> yeah, New Year's yeah, Evil time about... coming up. Do you want to talk about New Year's Evil? Now I'm doing the Price is Right announcer. <laughs> New Year's <laughs> Evil, come on down. Family that kills together partially stays together. The family that slays together stays together. Yeah, but that's not quite... They don't slay together, Peter. Yeah, that's true. It's really disappointing. Um, I'll get to that. So, uh, it is New Year's... So, you're going you're gonna to do the 90-second recap? Yep. That's okay. what I was doing. So, son well, of a bitch. <laughs> I'm going to take that you son of a bitch out and just put it at random spots... In this edit, 
to make it seem like you have started verbally berating me at random points. <laughs> I um, like that you need to use editing tricks to make me into a mean guy. But uh, the reason I wanted to pause is because I wanted to underline that it's a 90-second recap, Marcus. <laughs> 90-second recap. <laughs> you know, like that thing where I just attack our old guests for things yeah, they said great. on the show? I-, I wanted to see if you wanted to go deeper into that attack. 90-second recap. Um, so... It is New Year's Eve, and at a fancy hotel downtown, Elvira, mixed with a punk rock-like figure, is hosting a New Year's Eve celebration. She has a son who she's ignoring, a husband who is uh, unseen, apparently, Uh, and she's putting on this this, uh, this celebration. She gets a creepy call by a dude who says he is evil and that he is going to murder people Every time that the um, clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve leading up to the East Coast uh, recording that she's at. So there should be theoretically four kills and she's going to be the last one. From there, the movie sort of abandons her, pops into the party to show you what's going on. There's a mosh pit and shit. There's all sorts of crazy like faux punk new wave style uh, 80s bullshit going on at the party. Um, Cops trying to keep her safe, trying to figure out who this killer is. Uh, this killer is sort of our protagonist of the movie. We're following him as he murders people around town. Um, they, you know, hunts women, whatever. And uh, eventually, he sneaks into the hotel successfully. And when the two meet, we find out that that's her husband. The killer is her husband. And for a little bit, she doesn't know he's the killer and all that. And he's waiting for the proper moment to kill her. And uh, that proper moment is at some point after giving a long (laughs) speech about his motivations for murdering her and why he's, uh, you know, why he's doing it, how he's going to do it. And um, says, tomorrow I'm going to take my son to the Rose Bowl or whatever, because apparently his son is also crazy and maybe in on it. I have no fucking clue on that that angle of the movie. We'll dive into that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So uh, he is actually unsuccessful. She, uh, after a harrowing sort of uh, attempted kill by him involving an elevator shaft, uh, he's unsuccessful. He runs up to the roof after a shootout with the cops and then jumps off the roof, um, apparently dead. And then the next shot is of uh, a masked person driving away her ambulance, uh, the same mask that the crazy husband was wearing. Clearly the sun. In the movie ends. Yeah, clearly the sun because the husband has to be dead because it was like a 10-story roof, which asks the question, why is the mask there? Because it doesn't, no ambulance drivers wear masks, and it makes sense for them not to recognize an ambulance driver. It doesn't make sense for them to be like, yeah, 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 ambulance driver, it's fine for you to just uh, wear that mask. Why don't you just keep wearing it? I think think it goes into the movie's overreaching theme of unnecessary disguises. Yeah, that's true. Because uh, the main killer, a guy named Richard, uh, who's played by an actor named Kip, what is it? Kip Niven, which I'll tell you what, is the coolest fucking name ever. (laughs) Yeah, Kip Niven sounds like you're a yacht salesman or something. Or yeah. you, like, discovered an ancient tomb. Yeah, and this this movie has so many unnecessary disguises. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But So let's let's talk a little bit about our background about this movie, because this is one that Peter and I had both never seen. I had never heard of it before Peter recommended it for this month. Uh, and I'm like, great. And I watched it before Peter, and the first thing that comes up is our favorite movie company's logo, Canon. And I texted Peter. I'm like, holy shit, this is a Canon movie. And Peter's like, I didn't know that. <laughs> Because we don't do our research till after we watch these movies, you guys. Canon uh, is amazing in a lot of ways. One of which is that 
They have this amazing splash logo with this. Is it an octagon or a hexagon? I think it's a hexagon. It's definitely a, it's definitely a gone. I it's definitely one of the, the one of those gone. It's, it's a gone. Um, <laughs> so uh, the reason that uh, we love canon movies is because they always have this like core level of competence, right? They're not complete trash. Like you can't, you're not going to see like a boom mic pop into the frame, and you know they're not going to have sound popping in and out like a, a Sharknado or. A, they're not going to have a Sharknado. They're not going to have a Sharknado. But and but they're going to be crazy within budget. So they're going to do things that they can accomplish. Very often they'll surprise you with their competence at how how well they accomplish crazy feats. And um, very often the story structure doesn't make any fucking sense. But these movies are always like kind of lean and tight and fun. Yeah. Um, so they have a, this core level of competency mixed with this like lack of lack of respectability that comes with that competency usually in a Hollywood production. And it's uh, like they don't, it's like the one way they tried to save money on almost all of their movies is not to hire a script supervisor. And we're better for it. <laughs> yeah. They, and it's not like it's one of those like nitpicking like, well, this is a factual error or this does, he said this line, but he was actually wearing a red shirt. It's that they introduce subplots and plots that either don't, really go anywhere, get resolved in weird ways. The normal A to B to C storytelling doesn't exist. So it'll go off on tangents that don't make any sense. It'll include things that you're like, what was the point of that? And sometimes it'll just almost feel like a bunch of interconnected scenes loosely related. Um, yeah. And and that happens in this movie a lot, too, where the, the skimping comes from script supervising and a little bit of editing, too, where they just can't quite fit all the parts together. But they're like, as long as we hit 80 minutes, it's a movie. Yeah, exactly. And it's a for me, it feels like the filler is always entertaining. Yeah, because the filler is usually because the filler is driven by uh, Golan and Globus's crazy interests at the time like it'll be like they're really into gymnastics and then they'll have just like a movie of people doing gymnastics and then also it's a ninja movie like the the movies tend to be pretty lean they tend to be pretty fun and they tend to be pretty funny and i think if they actually had a script supervisor and made these any more competent on a structural or a script level they'd be too conventional yeah It'd be so boring. Yep. This this was, I'll say, my overall thoughts on this is this this wasn't, I don't think, full canon craziness, but included a lot of fun touches. And overall, it's just kind of an, it's an enjoyable movie. I thought it was interesting that Roger Ebert, who gave this a terrible rating, but his review is super positive. It's that weird thing where he's like, I, I don't like this movie, but at least it wasn't. As bad as Mother's Day. Yeah, he name called Mother's Day, which sort of yeah. made me uh, sort of made me laugh uh, out loud because I was like, "Oh, he also hated that piece of shit movie." Yeah, and it, it is it is a it is somewhat conventional. Like, and I'll say the hook is good. Of course, this is like on some level trying to cash in on. I mean, there was a fucking horror slasher movie for every goddamn holiday after Halloween. And so this is trying to catch in on that, but it's like, okay, well, New Year's Eve isn't like a Christmas or a Halloween or an April Fool's Day where you can, like, do something around those things. Like, what do you do to make a New Year's Eve killer? So I thought that their hook of, like, he kills one every hour when the clock strikes midnight in a different time zone, except Alaska and Hawaii, fuck you guys. <laughs> That's a pretty good hook. That's a pretty good hook for a New Year's Eve killer y- movie. Yeah. It's a weird dichotomy. Oh, so first off, one of the reasons we chose this movie, or I, I guess I 
pushed forth this movie without even knowing it was a canon movie was A, I'd never seen it, and B, I wanted to do three Christmas horror movies, but there's a whole week after Christmas, and I wanted to, for people that really fucking hate Christmas, I wanted to give them a, a reprieve, but uh, not a total reprieve from the holidays. So, uh, if you're listening and you hate Christmas movies, uh, I chose this for you. You're probably not listening anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I think that one of the issues with the movie, and by issues, I mean they do the best with what they've got is that there aren't definitive mythologies to new year's eve like let's let's all right let's seriously let's run through what do you know about new year's eve like let's let's run through it so it's the changeover in the years it happens you know every hour when you're watching tv that everybody celebrates new year's uh in their own time zone at midnight uh old lang syne is a common song for new year's i think the only New Year's you, ki- you Yeah, you kiss people when the clock hits midnight. Yeah. There's a countdown from 10. Yep. You put pantyhose on your head. Put pantyhose um, on your head. Murder your family. You murder, yeah, murder people in your family. Um, That's all you I can think of. You, you get make, drunk. You get super drunk. It's sort of like a, a, a rending of your clothes. Like, you're like, you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you're like a phoenix. You're like, I'm gonna tear it all down and then rise anew. New Year's Eve and St. Patrick's Day are like the two holidays where you can drink as much as you want and do really stupid stuff and no one will judge you the next day. Yeah. Cops might even giggle. Yeah. Like, uh, well, if you're white, I guess. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The shit that I saw white people get away with in Wrigleyville around New New Year's and St. Patrick's Day when I lived in Wrigleyville was obscene. Yeah. Cops would Uh, just be like... (laughs) Fucking idiots climbing on a light pole and then just walk away. I'm like, different neighborhood. That's a SWAT team. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So yeah, and it's and then people make uh, resolutions for the next year. Most of this stuff isn't in the movie, but like honestly, the the reason that the movie doesn't feel that New Year's Eve is because there's not that much New Year's Eve shit in America. Yeah, there's not like a Santa Claus for New Year's Eve. No, and no one remembers New Year's Eve anyway. So yeah. it's really hard to write, like, what did we do last New Year's Eve? No idea. I remember clocks. Yeah, I remember where we went at the beginning of the night. Was Flavor Flav there? <laughs> <laughs> he's everywhere on New Year's. He's like he's like New Year's Santa Claus. We should make him New Year's Santa Claus. That'd yeah, be why not? Let's just make Public Enemy uh, the whole Santa Claus and the elves gang. Yeah. So... And then the other thing about this movie is I would say that the motivation for the killer is a little thin, uh, but also almost almost like thin in a charming way in that it in that it boils down some of the more convoluted like it kind of gets to the heart of what's at a lot of these killers motivation. And the killer's motivation is essentially just uh, women are bad. Yeah, you've ignored me. You haven't given me what I wanted in this marriage. Me and your son, who you've also ignored me, are going to not only leave you, but we're going to murder you and take all your money. Yeah, and he doesn't just say, like, this woman. He makes sure to draw, like, a very clear connection to, you are a woman, and this is why you've done all this stuff, because women are evil and they do all these things. Like, the lack of, like, pretension and complexity around a troubling idea that's at the core of a lot of horror movies is, is it's at least interesting to, to break down. I gotta say, from a movie standpoint, though... This is probably, if you're a gamer gator, I imagine, like, this is your favorite movie of all time. Especially because the villains win in the end. Um, it has the Halloween ending. Sort of. 
where kind of the, the twit sort of because the son is supposed to be basically like not a direct reincarnation of his father but a uh lateral reincarnation of his father like he's continuing his father's work yeah and 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 uh him driving away with that mask on in the end is very halloween it's a very common sort of serial killer movie slasher movie ending uh to have the killer just pop yeah. up at the end and be like oh we thought we got him and then he's actually alive and then uh if canon wanted anything it was a sequel so yeah they were probably they were probably hoping to set it up for something um yeah and so he's the husband he says all right some quotes he says ladies are not very nice people manipulative deceitful immoral and very very selfish so you were right on about the mra mra yeah it, it, it is like and that's why they deserve to die or they deserve to be not just killed but tortured um so yeah, and i i think that kind of like pretension laid bare is is almost more interesting to digest because there's nothing in there that if you were having a discussion about like what this person's motivation is for killing there's not like well you know he went through this and then yeah, he's saying that, but that's because he had a bad – no, he just – he hates women. It should be noted that he doesn't just kill people at the strike of midnight on each coast. Yep. He kills blonde women. And the one woman that is is the top of the crown for him is this woman that he sees uh, as putting him down and uh, keeping him down despite the fact that like I'm pretty sure he's like – a pretty boy who doesn't have a job and like she's completely supporting him. Like I'm pretty sure she's completely a sugar mama. She is the number one radio DJ in the country. Yeah. Which I mean, how can you not be the sugar mama at that point? And this is a universe that exists where Dick Clark is not the draw on New Year's. It is this uh, punk chick wearing like a bad costume from a uh, high school Rocky Horror Picture Revival. <laughs> Yeah, it's and it's it's very 80s punk. Yeah. Where it's like a uh, it's old people's perception of what punk is. So they just like opened up uh, the New York Times or they talked to their other old people friends and they're like and they got spiky hair and they, they wear makeup in the face and they wear makeup all over the face. They look like they all look like David Bowie. Blaze the rock goddess uh, is what is what she is. Blaze uh, the yeah. rock out of every feed, every state. She has a whole team of producers, people like checking on her. She has this whole floor in this ritzy hotel. Like this movie posits a world where terrible punk rock is huge. And it's weird because it's sort of like more like hair metal or glam. Yeah. Yet they keep dropping the word punk. And they keep and they keep doing that fucking thing in these movies. I don't even I don't know if they were trying to fill time or like owed favors or really thought they had hit songs on their hands. It's one of those three where they like play entire versions of these songs of these bands that are in this movie that no one's ever heard the songs. No one's ever heard of the bands. And it, and of course they're not good songs. And it's like is this is this time filler? <laughs> Why yeah. are we doing this? It's weird because it's like every alt music genre trope of the 80s smashed together, but it doesn't quite speak to any of them and they just call it punk. They do they do try to do a juxtaposition though because one of the one of the songs we hear in its entirety is cut between the band who's singing a song called Dumb Blonde and 
when uh, the killer, Richard, is talking to someone that the movie wants to underline is a dumb blonde. In a movie where the woman is about to get murdered, it's yeah. making her murder into a joke. Which, I mean, I guess it, it, it asks a big question that I kind of wanted to, to veer into when you're ready. Does making Richard the main character overly humanize him? And this is sort of a this is sort of a weird problem with like all movies that follow the serial killer and not the hunt for the serial killer. Yeah. So actually, this kind of dovetails into. So I I kind of want to because my big thing that I want to talk about is similar. It's not the exact same. So I I say that we bump them up, we bump uglies, and we talk about our problems with the movie, and then we can move on to a lot of the fun stuff that's in here. And and my problem is is very similar to that, and almost like the other side of the coin. Which is, I do think that this movie, I, I do think this movie is not on the side of Richard. This is not a Gamer Gator movie in the sense that I think the people that made it were like, we're going to show this awesome guy and he's going to be killing these girls. And I got to tell you, but then society's like, oh, women are cool. I, I think he's supposed to be an asshole. But like you said, when you're showing him so much and he gets to say his views unfettered, and it's it's very anti-women, he does kind of become a like, wait, I know depiction doesn't equal endorsement, but is this endorsement? Uh, it was focusing on one. Let's focus on one thing. Well, that, that kind of feels like the same thing, though, because you're saying they spend so much time with him. And I'm saying that because we spend so much time with him, some of his anti-women views can almost seem like the movie's endorsing it. Yes. So and the fact that they win in the end. Yeah. And it, it's tough because like Maniac in both Maniac movies, uh, the killer is the lead. So you, in a human level, you sort of identify with them. Same thing with, you know, um, Henry, uh, Sir- Hen- what's the Henry Portrait, Portrait of a Serial, of a serial killer. killer. And Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer and then a very similar movie, Man Bites Dog. Um, yeah. Those are both movies that, you know, the serial killer is the lead, but their actions are so horrific that you know, and the guy is so self-loathing, that you know that they're not the hero in any way. Okay, so focusing in on one specific thing. This is something maybe it only affects me because I'm just like an anxious person. But (laughs) whenever a bad person is trying to beat the clock and the movie is playing it with the same language as a good person trying to beat the clock, I feel like the movie wants us to humanize with the killer. Yep. So there's no, a that's an excellent point. Maybe it's just because I'm, I'm anxious. Maybe it's just because I grew up with movies where, you know, Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible is trying to, like, stop the bomb from blowing up in the 30 seconds. But and in this sort of movie with a guy that's trying to get his murder in before midnight and the movie wants us to feel nervous with him. It's kind of weird because, like, they're not... Cannon's uh, lack of competency actually kind of hurts them here. They could have been like, oh, thank God, he's going to run out of time and then this is going to foil his plan. But instead, the countdown feels like you're like, oh, shit, I hope you murder her on time. Yeah. Oh, no, don't want to be late. I hope he isn't inconvenienced in his, yeah. his super audacious plan to murder all these women. Corporate America has drilled into our heads that time is important. We need to log our hours and being late is the worst thing that could happen. And what they're doing is making us as people side with killers. Boycott Walmart is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was just a weird moment where the incompetency 
sort of made me feel creeped out in a way I wasn't expecting. Because the movie's not that gory. No. The movie the movie is really not which, that gory. Which is why Ebert loved it. <laughs> is there not is is there really I'm trying to think, is there any nudity in the movie? Uh yes. Canon movies usually have at least like one girl that tears her own top off and then I am I am pretty sure I yes. So the two or a girl girls that, about to be sexually assaulted and then they tear open her shirt and then the ninja shows up to yeah. stop it. <laughs> the two the two girls are I don't know if there's nudity beforehand, but the two girls that he takes from the bar that he murders and leaves on the playground, uh one of them I think has their shirt open. So it's like dead nudity. Dudity. Yep, it's dudity. <laughs> but it's weird for a canon movie to have nudity that's not supposed to be sexy. Yeah, well I mean I don't want to say that they didn't think it's sexy because I've seen Death Wish 3. <laughs> <laughs> Death, Wish, Death Wish 3 shot a rape scene like a porno, which is like something that I think if anybody told me they hated Death Wish, Death Wish 3 after that, I'd be like, okay. Yeah, so it's so I don't want yeah. to judge what they're like, yeah, put some nudity in there. Uh, but, but they're yeah, they're dead. Open her shirt. This those scenes they shot right though I think yeah. in um in a uh, in this movie because they're shot in like sh- harsh shadow with yeah. like, cr- creepy ambient score or something like they're it's clearly supposed to be a horrible horrible fucking thing well and it's underlined by the worst cop on the face of the earth who sees them and then says gross <laughs> <laughs> also the cop the cops in this movie. Quick tangent: The cops in this movie, they I I think work for the producers of her show because anytime they find anything, they are calling the producers and being like, "Here's what's going on," and even say at one point, "We'll call you once we know more." These cops are terrible at their jobs. They, well, that's the other fun thing about the movie is that the cops continually are just pissed off and uh, ruining the party, but to no avail. They not only don't stop the killer. They don't even get close to really stopping the killer. The time the time that they mildly interrupt the killer is when his like uh, elevator plan is going slightly awry. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's him. Get him. And then they got in the shootout with the killer. And they don't even really save her. Like, it's, it's a no. weird it's a weird movie because like she kind of saves herself just by not dying. I don't even know how to describe it. This leads me to an open question. Is there a movie where the cops aren't the protagonists, where the cops featured in said movie are competent? That's true, because if the cops were the, the protagonists, then they would display some level of, of competence. Yeah. Even, I mean, even in movies where our lead is a cop, sometimes they're like, and all the other cops are assholes. <laughs> like, that was sort of the... the Attica! <laughs> yeah, sort of the not, not the right Al Pacino. Yeah, it's from Doug <laughs> Serpico. Yeah, Serpico and Donnie Brasco yeah. and uh, 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 like even Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. Like they're the cops that have their heads screwed on straight. And, and uh, Dirty Harry, the sort of idea that like bureaucracy slows down justice, but a, a bullet's awful fast. Like this, this is why, you know, as much as people say that like movies influence America, I got to tell you, if there is so much like aggressively pro police sentiment in this country, not like, hey, they're necessary evil and they're trying to do a job and we should respect the good ones, but understand that they also have a crazy amount of authority over regular citizens so that they should be watched. Not like that kind of like 
you know, kind of grudging respect that it's a tough job, but it sucks that we even have to have the job, but like, really like, go get them, cops! I am surprised that that exists in this country when we literally have had a Hollywood system that has undermined that sentiment for 30, 40, 50 years, and still, a good chunk of this country is like, the cops can do whatever they want, they are a hundred. They are angels and saints who sometimes make mistakes, but always have their heart in the right place. So it, that's that's a good telling thing that like Hollywood has no impact on this country or its morals or its thoughts at all. Because if there's one thing Hollywood has been consistent about is that cops are terrible. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's funny because like we've been telling cops that they're terrible for so long that now I think it's made police union unions so much more conservative. Where yeah, they're like they're like, uh, actually, we're not flawed at all. We're perfect. We've never done anything wrong in our lives. That cop was just doing his job. <laughs> every movie, every movie I watch, I'm an asshole. How about this? <laughs> you are what you eat. <laughs> Bada bing. Bada bing. Uh, A pizza now pie. We're get, now we're gonna get shit from uh, the uh, Italian anti-American or anti-Italian uh, defamation league and a cop union. Wow, the Italian anti-American league. It's <laughs> a whole different thing. <laughs> that was Mussolini's party, I think. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing because like the, she doesn't. I don't. Does she quite save herself in the end? Does Blade no, quite save herself? Kind, she sort of kind survives. Of. Yeah, and I think that's one of the problems is that it's giving a very, it's giving a big megaphone to someone to tell how much she hates women throughout the course of the movie and makes you identify with him, and then there's nothing close to a rebuke. There's not like another character who's like, hey. Maybe you're a huge asshole, or here's why you're wrong, or even, like, a tough female heroine who, like, you know, stands up to him and, like, shoots, you know, it's not that, you know, Ellen Ripley, or any of the, or, uh, or Nev Campbell in Scream. There's no, like, Nev Campbell in Scream character who's, like, gets the last laugh, and even though she, uh, he, she was tortured for her promiscuity, uh, you know, kind of stands up to Billy and the rest of them, and shows that she's a strong tough she just kind of gets out of the situation and then he goes and takes a tumble on his own so it's not just what uh richard does it's the vacuum of anyone to stand up to him or call him on his misogyny yeah that's true and like he kind of has an interesting little monologue in the end where he's like not depicted as a raving loon like he's like a loon with a belief system um, and he's like jealous that she's like financially independent and that she's her own woman and that she's he's jealous that she attracts other men. Like obviously this like punk rock goddess that's on TV and you know, whatever is a singer or whatever will attract she's a uh, singer? people. I'm assuming she's a singer. <laughs> I don't know what she does other than New Year's. People sing. That's another problem with this movie. They don't spend enough time. Like, they give Blaze makeup, and then they have a moment where she is ignoring her son, and you're like, oh, so the movie's going to come back to that and have her have a redemption with her son. And maybe in the end, her son will choose to save her or something, because whatever. Or maybe the son is the killer all along, or whatever. whatever. Yeah, her son, her son, we know the which we used to say is the same age as his parents yeah it's a weird it's a weird age thing because even if they're a little older they don't look more than 12 years older i i don't even think they look five years older so this is where i got really confused by the movie 
Richard is the husband, but you don't find out that until about the two-thirds mark. And you just see him going around, and he's wearing all these disguises. He's dressed up like a priest, he puts on a fake mustache, and he's killing these people at midnight. And he is in the, also calling uh, his wife, which we don't know is his wife, and saying he's going to kill her with uh, the, the help of the most advanced voice disguiser. Uh, of all time, I think it's just a mouth harp that he's using, and it's just like a I'm dying to the killing. Like it's it's really bad. It's bad. That's really terrible. It was a bad choice. I'll tell you what. The biggest technological advance for killers was the scream vocal displacer because that was scary. This was what is going on. Although, again, the cops on point seventy five percent of the way through the movie tell her. Uh, he's using some sort of voice disguise. <laughs> she's, sort of, she's talked to him five times. You don't think she knows that that's not his voice? That's a, uh, it sounds like the, the thing that people who have a tracheotomy, because they smoke too much, it sounds like that thing. But more cartoonish. You don't always die from yeah. tobacco. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it sounds, it sounds like that, but like if a Muppet version of it. is <laughs> 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 the best way to put it. So, it was super confusing because I'm like, why the fuck is this guy wearing disguises? He's just going from different places. No one knows who he is. No one knows who the killer is. Why is he putting on fake mustaches? Why is he wearing a priest outfit? Does he just like disguises? It made no sense for anything. And then the mustache thing. Yeah. If people recognize him, like he's not famous. His, his wife is famous. So, yeah, that's when it was like, okay, she's the husband. I guess that's why he was wearing disguises but in two of the incidents he didn't disguise his face like if people knew who he was wearing a different collar on your shirt i mean that's like sub clark kent superman levels of disguise <laughs> like so again he just likes he just likes costuming i'm not here to judge i wasn't sure if the movie knew it was a surprise that he was the killer when i was done watching and i had to rewind it cuz i'm like well i know she was talking to some white guy the beginning of this movie was that the husband was i supposed to know that it was the husband the whole movie and so i so i rewound it and i it was like oh no that's just one of the five producers that look the exact same uh so i gotta tell you i'm saying it right now all white people in the 80s look alike <laughs> that's true uh especially once they had that mustache yeah so i i was really like questioning the twist in that is this a twist Am I projecting a twist onto this movie? Um, it is uh, kind of an interesting twist to have you just know you you get to see his face, you get to see his face, and to get to follow him around, and then at the end to be like, ah, he's not just a random person because she greets him not with like a "What are you doing in my room?" She's like, "Oh, hi, Richard. I thought you were gone." And he approaches the room with a mask on his face, so you're like, "Here he is," which he's never worn. I should say the rest of the movie. It's not even a New Year's mask. Like, that's the reason this movie kind of suffers a little bit, because, like, there's no New Year's mask for him to be wearing. That would be creepy. I mean, the mask works as, like, a creepy mask, but it, what is it? I don't I don't know. Well, I think it's just supposed to be, like, here's the killer. But I thought it was the son at that moment. I didn't think it was the killer that we'd been seeing, because before this, the son is watching TV. He's clearly having a fight with his mother, and at one random point, it just cuts to him kind of almost like rocking back and forth angrily on on a hotel bed and then he puts uh cuts up pantyhose and puts them over his head and also sunglasses under the pantyhose yeah and then that's that's it with that 
That's so. So I just, I, I just looked at the mask. I I have no idea what this fucking thing is. So it didn't. So the surprise didn't work in a couple levels. In that the the person that we know wears mask is her his her son. So I was like, okay, the son put on a mask now. He's he's moved on from the panty. The, well, like, the whole thing was just like and reveal the killer. The twist didn't work in that. I was so confused as to. Is it a twist? And it seemed like they were setting up a different twist that I was like, oh, okay, great. It's a husband. You could have done that so much better so easily, which is, again, a perfect, a perfect, like, summation of canon movies. You could have done this better so easily, which is just, he just, like, she has her back to him, and he, like, slowly approaches creepily. And then when she turns around, she's like, oh, hi, honey. Yeah. That solves all of it. And you don't need a mask that doesn't show up till the end when it disguises a face of someone we know who it yeah, is. Yeah, the mask doesn't even serve a purpose for that kind of limp twist. Here's the here's the thing. The twist at the end is terrible because <laughs> those kind of twists only work when the person is such a force of will, like he's such a force of nature, that normal means of killing just don't work on him. And the movie has proven that over and over and over again, that this dude is like just not human. So, in the end, to just have, like, this – have the killership be transferred via mask just doesn't – it doesn't make any sense. And the mask is that even what they're trying to do? I think it's supposed to be, like, he's taking up the mantle of his father, like he's finishing the job. I think that's true, but I I didn't feel a connection to the mask as an indicator, just that, oh, yeah, he also hated his mom. Well, I mean, why else would he – take the mask like he's like i don't i literally i gotta tell you peter don't have an answer to that question so taking the mask because he's literally picking up his father's mantle it's so weird to reveal a mask that's supposed to mean something an hour into an hour and 20 minute movie yeah like the mask is also when he answers the door to tell the cop he's like don't shoot me i'm her husband he's holding the mask in his hand (laughs) like is there like that's the thing is they clearly wanted that to be like a Santa mask or something. Uh, I, don't but know, I don't know like, what they wanted. Well, it's a New Year's movie. Why didn't they so stick with the pantyhose thing? Is that baby New Year? Is this baby New Year a thing? I think this movie wanted it to be. I, I just Googled baby New Year. I can confirm that that is not baby New Year. Baby <laughs> yeah. New Year wears a top hat and a banner that says baby New Year. <laughs> Yeah, there needs to be more banners that identify people. Yeah, this mask is not a baby mask. So if it were a baby mask, it would maybe make sense because he's baby New Year. He's gonna, he's gonna. I'm, I'm totally fucking stretching here, but he's gonna uh, usher in the new year uh, by killing her and rebonding with his son, and you know, living the rest of his life happy without these awful women keeping him down. Like a baby New Year mask would have made sense if those exist. Not a weird old dude mask. We should say, too, that the husband has been with his wife at least as long to have a 45-year-old son who still lives <laughs> at home. Like, they've been together a while, and the second that uh, the producers of her show find out the husband has shown up there, they're like, I never trusted him. Maybe he's the killer. And then, I don't know if they, like, look on Al Gore's, like, private internet that w- existed in 1980. Because <laughs> I, I don't know how else they found out this information so quickly. They're like, hold on. He was in a mental institute. We can't tr-. Like, they're, they've been together for, if you're being generous to how old the kid is in this movie, at least 15 or 16 years. And the second he shows up at their hotel room, everyone's like, doesn't seem right to me. It's also weird that there's no father-son moment together. 
the kid shows up late just the, in the mask. movie wearing the wearing the stocking that you're wearing the the, the, the um, pantyhose mask and sunglasses and then the kid doesn't even get to kill a cop with that mask on he just wears the other mask so the pantyhose thing is a total loose end like making the kid the red herring is pretty much a loose end until the end it would only really make sense if the kid were somehow like somehow the father and son had a bonding moment where they were like yeah you you hate women me too high yeah. five like them both hating kill their mother mom. independently makes sense it makes sense for a canon movie <laughs> Yeah, it makes sense for a canon movie, them both hating their mother independently. But, like, the plan is too coordinated for two people that just have a mutual hatred. I get it. It's your own flesh and blood. You guys have a bond. But you don't like, oh, you were going to do murdering tonight? Me too. We didn't even talk about it. What are the odds? We are like simpatico. (laughs) (laughs) We're like father and son. Uh, <laughs> um, Derek is such a weird role because you feel bad for him at first. Uh, his mom is is an asshole, and she just completely ignores the fact that he got well, the major role or whatever. I don't think and that's fair. Like she's about to go on in front of what I imagine is five hundred million people. Like still her son, give her some space though. I, I don't know. I feel like it's supposed to be indicative of how she always is because he doesn't seem particularly surprised that she's an asshole. She's just like. Yeah, yeah, I figured you'd react this way. How you doing? I'm gonna, st- I'm gonna stew. Yeah, but Sit like in my stew okay. space. <laughs> but it's weird because the lonely boy ignores his. Or, it's weird because lonely boy has a sad mom. It's weird because <laughs> I like sad, lonely, lonely boy, boy has a sad mom. <laughs> sad lonely boy has a mom who ignores him. Isn't as interest isn't interesting as anything else that's going on in the movie. As soon as it starts, it's not interesting just on a dramatic level. And it's like, okay, I get it. Like, that that fails. Like, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. But then they bring it back again when after the stabbing start. And it's especially like, dude, let it go. Your mom is trying to host this event while being threatened from, threatened with murder. Like, let it go. Like, then I'm on your side. And then late, after that, he goes into stocking mask territory. where So it's like. For a period of time, the movie seems you don't want to think like, oh, this, this it's just about a son is just there so you can show that she's a bad mother. Yeah, and and, uh, and an obvious uh, red herring. Um, the other men in her life, though, are not great. Those producers are the fucking worst. They're also like the most like greasy 80s, like, we're here for the money, sweetheart. Like, yeah. Type, type producers. Uh, yeah. That's right, guys. Voices are here to stay. Uh, or should I say voice? Voice. The one you got. Is here to stay. Dance with the one you brought. Yeah. The producer's at one point, like, when she's, like, talking to the cops and, and is like, hey, should I get out of here? Like, this person keeps calling and there's people being murdered. And she, like, kind of runs away frustrated that no one seems to care. One of the producers turns to the cop and says, you got to excuse her. She's a little uptight. Which is like, no, you don't need to excuse her. This is rational behavior. I don't know why she's still here at all. Yeah. And, uh, she, the cop should have been like, you have to leave. Don't you have a backup for tonight? Yeah. Like, have your MC take over or something. Dick Clark is just revving to go in this yeah. warehouse that we keep him in in this universe. Yeah. And he, in this universe, loves punk music more than anything. He's not He's not the, the Rick D's top 40 guy. Oh, no. No, no, no. 
I'm not even Dumb blonde. Voice. <laughs> I'm voice. Uh, that's what he's singing in that closet. Dumb blonde. Dumb blonde. Right before she gets murdered. That's so so great. Oh yeah, but the producers have some comments on that too, because as I said, the cops are giving them all the information about the crime scene. So the producer lets uh, lets lets her know, hey. He's mutilated the breasts of most of his victims. That's a sign of a psychopathic killer with mother issues. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, movie. Uh, Thanks for having a character. Just like he's got mother issues. Yeah. Thank you, armchair uh, Freud's cousin. Just the laziest way to like try to rip off Norman Bates is like, let's just have a guy say to the camera that everyone knows that based on science if there is a dead body mutilated breasts of his victim is like the grossest phrase i've ever heard in my life but yeah. that is but that is just like that means he's got mother issues he wish he got breastfed more you get all that audience <laughs> <laughs> he's in a psych unit he's got mother issues hey, draw you a road map he's gonna start killing people <laughs> uh, you know, people look to me, uh, an average uh, New York cop, for uh, psychological analysis. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is one of the producers. Not even yeah, a cop, sure. just a guy who puts on a music show is like, look, if I know anything about killers, they're like mutilating breasts, don't like their mom, and they eat a pizza pie. <laughs> <laughs> they love pizza. <laughs> Pizza's good for you. All four food groups. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Hopefully so everyone listening to this does listen on New Year's Eve, so they're super drunk. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're not drunk, hit pause and just drink like a quart of gin. Just a quart? Let's – come on. Yeah. <laughs> really, really knock it back, guys. About Zach. two shots less than clinically dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't go too far, guys. Yeah. Stop uh, you your know binge that, drinking. You know, you know that song, Shots, 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 Everybody? Yeah, stop it at like seven shots. Don't yeah. sing the eighth one. <laughs> Please, God, yeah. don't sing the other so, one. So, yeah, so you want to say shots, 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 not shots, 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 shots. <laughs> Too far. Everybody. So, I'm pretty sure that song was made to be like sort of ironic and deta like detached uh, as like a party song. Even if it wasn't, whatever. There's nothing. There was nothing more depressing than in college because I, I when I was in college that song oh was God. huge. Yeah. Uh, walking into a shitty sports bar and then playing that like so so loud, just surrounded by all these like dumb drunk freshmen, being like. You guys aren't really inspiring me to, to drink a lot right now. I gotta tell you, that sounds like the sort of torture that along with mother issues would lead you to mutilate someone's breasts. <laughs> so, so yeah, don't be a tool. If you're going to a bar, don't kill people, first off. First off, don't murder anybody. Don't murder anyone at a bar, guys. If you're listening to this, please. Try. Control yourself. You know, yeah, just try it out. Give it your college try, as I say. Yeah, take take your wallet, take your credit cards, take your keys, leave the switchblade. <laughs> um, anyway. So there's like a weird thing where for a little bit when they're the killer is on the run. I know it's sort of doubling back, but 
uh, there's just really not that much to this movie. Um, no, uh, <laughs> I'm really, I'm really combing my notes for like what else was there I needed uh, to talk about. But there's a weird thing going on early in the movie where there's like a couple actually like kind of funny points where like the killer tries to get a girl and they're about to leave and it's funny unintentionally because it's like 70s disco music or something and it's just like really like garish and he gets her to leave and then she's like oh my friend has to come he's like why (laughs) she's like you don't expect me to leave with a stranger do you and then he like looks really mad that's another point where like is the movie trying to get us to identify with this dude um because that's like a thing that happens when you pick up girls at bar yeah you know you know how bros are man you're broing out get a get a hot girl and then uh the friend who doesn't want their friend to be date raped by you is like no thank you yeah that's like that's like a a, a stereotype it's like a douchebag cliche yeah yeah, you're picking up a girl at a bar and her friend's like i want to come along and i'm like that's when uh that's when i ask my bro joey to fall on the grenade Yo, uh, Joey! <laughs> put your penis into this lady! <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's a scene where he's trying to leave with this girl, and she understandably is like, I'm not leaving with a stranger. Friend comes with, and there's a couple funny comedy moments that are like outright comedy moments. Alright, so uh, she's talking to the, the loudmouth girl is talking, and she's like talking about how transcendental meditation changed her life, and how she also went to Est, and she also did all this other shit, and it's just like supposed to be a funny, annoying character, and he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and the joke is like he wants to murder her, and also the audience wants to murder her, and uh, you know, whatever you think of that morally, that that is the joke, and she's talking about like all, the, all of her nervous conditions, and she's like... I had biting nails. I was biting my nails all the time. She had nervous diarrhea. And then her friend's like, okay, come on. Like, there, there's a there's a pretty good back and forth there. And then they pull up. No one has ever wanted to be in a car less than that friend. Yeah, she's basically like, I'm just here so you don't get, like, rape murdered. Like, like she has a someone farted face for the entire ride. Yeah. Even when she goes in the liquor store to get the champagne, she's she's just like, listen, this is my night. My night is my night was ruined the moment this dude walked into this bar. So, which is true, just not she doesn't realize how true it is yet. So he goes in, he hands her a hundred dollar bill. He says, "Like get the nicest champagne you've got," which also helps imply that uh, the killer is just living off of of, of Blaze's wealth. What's what's the opposite of a sugar daddy? A sour daddy? sugar mama. Sour daddy? <laughs> sour daddy? <laughs> yeah, he's a total sour daddy. Total sour daddy. Total tote sour daddy. And Totes he, sour daddy. And he hands her a hundred dollar bill. And uh, when they're going at the counter, did you notice uh, the guy counting out money for her? Yeah. He counted $95 back in change. <laughs> Which implies she bought a $5 bottle and is pocketing the rest. <laughs> that uh, that guy who's working the uh, the counter at the liquor store is my favorite character in the movie. Because no one has just been more like, all right. I've, I've never seen a store clerk in a movie look like, not sarcastic, not annoyed, but just like... This is what you're doing. Like he just has a he has a wonderful presence that I was super bummed that that was it. Yeah, he's 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 a fun little uh, he's a fun little character, and I wish yeah. uh, that there would be a sidequel to New Year's Evil to cover cover his story. What kind of crazy just, mischief does this guy get up to on just, New Year's Eve? Just Day? some just someone who looks completely incredulous by everyone purchasing liquor at his liquor store. All right, you're getting that. Enjoy, right. I guess. Yeah. 
<laughs> you got it. Um, so when so when he does finally kill that girl, did the dumpster kill make you jump? Where he's in the he's in the dumpster and he just flicks open the light. Yeah, that was pretty good. That that and the elevator the kill are on the movie. I think I think the elevator kill is like creative and interesting in like an 80s horror so i think that and the garbage uh one is pretty good which actually so now i'm remembering there is nudity because at uh, the movie theater with the guy trying to get to second base or successfully getting to second base but being rejected to go any further uh when they're watching the movie at the drive-thru yeah that's true um and they're watching a movie called blood feast which i've uh, yet oh, to look up is that a real movie yeah, there's a real movie called – there's a real – I watched it last Spooktober. Um, in Spooktober's past, I watched uh, – it's called Blood Feast. Uh, it's a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. But I didn't recognize the shots they pulled from that movie. So maybe it's sort of that movie and sort of not. Or maybe my memory is just hazy. But yeah, there's a, there's a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie and IMDb credits it as being included in the movie. Oh. Well, life is a mystery. Life is a highway, actually. Oh. It's not a mystery? And I want to ride it all night long. God, I, some, I know something's a mystery. Murders are mysteries? There's murder mysteries. Yeah, that's true. I guess not all murders are mysteries. The murders in this movie are, are not mysteries. We know. We know everything about them. We see them all. Murders, guys. <laughs> all right. So, actually, I was going to say it. So, there's, yeah, a, there's what another way. To say it? Let's get out of this. There's another way that they could have improved this movie. There's two ways they could have improved this movie, I think. Um, one, one of the clever ways they use the New Year's Eve countdown thing is there's the 10, 9, 8, 7, 6 thing. Yeah. Uh, for the first countdown where he's killing the nurse, he's stabbing her on every countdown. And it's like a nice little editing moment where they're like, Oh yeah, that is really good. Like it's it's a really clever bout of editing in a movie that's full of like not that impressive editing. That's cool. And then at one point he strangles the girl, the girl we're talking about, with a bag of weed, a massive bag of weed. Which I guess back in the eighties, that's just like as much weed as you got. You just got this like you get a bag, gallon bag of weed. It made me wonder what this movie would be like if it were all. Uh, just him killing people with party favors. <laughs> like they leaned into the drunkenness of New Year's Eve and just had him like, I don't know, throttling someone with a bong or shoving a ping pong ball down her throat or whatever, like choking a girl on the, the, the New Year's Eve beads. Like I thought it would be interesting if the whole movie was just him killing people with party favors. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm into it. It would work. And it would be New Year's eve And then you can do the thing where, like, you shoot out... Party poppers? Party poppers, but then, like, oh, the plastic got in my eye. And then it scratched the cornea, and then I tripped over, and, ah, oh, the killer's waiting for me. <laughs> that killer. He's, he Such knows a... how to use a party pooper. Party popper. <laughs> <laughs> I like your way better. Yeah. No, so that guy can... knows how to use a party pooper. <laughs> He does get one a one-liner because it's the, it's the 80s and no one could resist a one-liner. He has a one-liner, which is, um, enjoy your going away party, get smashed. <laughs> right before the elevator kill. Fun or, fact, at birth in the 80s, you were issued a uh, catchphrase and a social security number. And you had one point in your life where you're like, it's going to pop up, like, you better have your catchphrase ready. Yeah. Ironically, that's my catchphrase. I was issued. I was born in the 80s. It's going to pop up. I can't wait for it to pop up. The get, pop up. Get, 
The, no, wait, no, the no, that, that is the catchphrase. It's gonna pop up. <laughs> it's gonna pop up. <laughs> Are we doing it? We're, do, we're doing an Abbott and Costello routine all of a sudden. <laughs> What's gonna pop up? It's gonna pop up. No, I know. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> Second base. Who is on first? It's gonna pop up. <laughs> that also works, by the Who's way. Who's gonna pop up? Baseball yeah. reference. So yeah, that the elevator scene. Do you want to talk about that? Because that's definitely the most interesting moment in the movie, and it's it's the good part of the climax. Because I think the rest of the climax is kind of lackluster. Yeah, it's it is funny. They're like, oh yeah, Michael Myers falls from two stories. He's gonna fall from twenty. Yeah. <laughs> like wait, well I think you missed the point of why Michael Myers had to fall from two stories so that it wasn't totally unbelievable that he was alive yeah it's still within the realm of possibility like you know he's not mulched like this guy when he lands like his internal organs have to be just like he dented the pavement yeah like like joker style from batman 1989 yeah exactly (laughs) like something bad is uh some they're gonna have to refinish that pavement that's all i'm saying they fucked up the admins uh the uh you know executive officer of admins parking lot and he's not gonna be happy on monday not gonna be thrilled. They're gonna shut down that hotel, uh, generic building that is also there's a hospital. It, it, it looked, nearby. Yeah, I, I was like, wait, they're not staying at a hospital, but it looks like a hospital from the outside. Is this technically along with the uh, the '80s hospital horror uh, movies with visiting hours and Halloween Two and Exorcist Three? Yeah, this. I mean, this this movie. The fact how casually it's like, oh yeah, hey, he was in a nut house. He's quite. He's a crazy guy. <laughs> he's a crazy guy. Anyone who is in a psych ward at any point in their life is potentially could murder people. That's what the 80s Lots tried to tell Lots of people and wears a mask. Yep. Yeah, the elevator scene, though, that is truly a terrifying concept that's executed very well. Yeah, there's a lot of great sort of I, – I, I misspoke earlier. There's there's a few – the editor gets excited during the kill sequences uh, and this is one of them where they like have nice uh, smash cuts to like her face and like, you know, change of distance with this elevator. She's attached – basically she's attached to the bottom of an elevator and he's hacked the elevator so that it's just swooping up and down and eventually she's just going to get smashed against the bottom. And there's inside the elevator are just two stoned partiers. Again, the movie trying to be funny, but like not quite there. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's that's a it's a pretty great sequence in terms of editing. Um, but yeah, like I said, there's not a there's, this this movie isn't super inspiring on like a like a lot of canon movies are. But that's just because the third act in these canon movies is usually so so crazy. This elevator sequence is the only crazy part of the third act. Yeah, it, and it's done very well. I mean, it's always nice when, like... Because just the concept of, like, flying up and down, being strapped to the outside of an elevator, that's a terrifying concept. They execute it well when they kind of, like, get in close, and she's, like, flying up, and you kind of feel the speed of the scene, which is critical to to kind of selling the fear in that moment. So it's all, it's all done really well, but you, you're right, there's just... There's not that much... To go into in this movie, I think Roger Ebert was a little bit right when he said one of the reasons that he – I shouldn't say that he liked it because he did give it one and a half out of four stars. But one of the reasons that he wasn't ready to condemn it, I guess, is probably the more accurate way to put it, is that it was like old-fashioned and conventional. You have a killer. He has a goal. 
he uh, accomplishes 90% of the goal and then his big climax is foiled. Like this, this isn't a five-star movie. This isn't some masterpiece. It's just well executed, well done. And, you know, it's, it's it has enough enough of the canon what the fuckery to like not make it so conventional that it's just a, a standard 80s slasher movie but it doesn't have enough of the canon what the fuckery to be like holy shit this is like death wish or life force or uh you know texas chainsaw massacre 2 or kind of any of the or from what i've heard ninja 3 uh it does it just doesn't have any of those kind of like totalitarian like this is nuts yeah it it really doesn't um i will not be a you know an annual watch the way that black christmas and silent night deadly night and maybe krampus will uh work uh it just doesn't have that sort of power i don't think over me at all and it doesn't identify enough with the holiday to me where i'm just whereas mostly i'm just like it's a it's a fairly standard slasher with some some interesting structures and the fact that it follows the killer is mostly what i'll remember of it uh i'll remember it along the lines of the other movies i listed earlier the maniac movies and such i'll remember it from that angle more so than um as a new year's movie at all yeah yeah it's like i hate saying this because it's not like i didn't enjoy it i did enjoy it but this is definitely going to be a movie that I probably never rewatch. And then 10 years from now, if I hadn't been doing this podcast about it, someone will go, have you seen New Year's Evil? And I'll go, no. What's that about? And then someone will start describing the plot and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, just it's- us having to type in the title and stuff and the- for the post is enough for me to remember it. It's- yeah. <laughs> That's about it. Like, if, if, if this hadn't been watched for the podcast, it would just be a movie I watched at some point and eventually it would... It would disappear. Um, and I think that's an interesting quality of movies. That's not a bad thing. That's not a condemnation. Like, that is a lot of movies. But I, you know, I keep lists of every movie I watch each year. And it's so funny to look at some of those lists and be like, did I watch that movie? And then, like, right next to it is a movie that's like, oh, yeah, I remember that like it was yesterday. I think I think one of the forgotten ways to judge a movie quality is like how much of an impact it has on you and from that perspective if if you took away the had to record an episode about it this movie would essentially have minimal to no impact on yeah an impact could even just be did i bring this up to my friends that like movies did i have a conversation about this with anybody whereas like most of the movies i watch i don't bring them up to anybody because it's like not worth explaining the movie on why i loved it like yeah, I I would recommend this if someone's like, hey, I'm looking for a horror movie that takes place on New Year's Eve. What do you have? I'd be like, I got it. <laughs> New <laughs> Year's Evil. One. But uh, if there's not really like 80 slasher movies, like even if they're like, what's like a Halloween holiday ripoff horror movie? I'd probably go with Silent Night, Deadly Night or even like April Fool's Day, which I think has a really clever conceit and ending. And this movie's conceit about, like, the the killer was driven to it because women are evil. It does a good job of kind of laying the motivation for other killers in horror movies bare. Like, it kind of reveals, like, okay, you strip away the artifice and 
At the end of the day, it's just a guy who hates women. That's why he's. That's why Friday. That's why Jason's killing people. That's why, you know, all these people are killing people. So, but I feel like that's a more interesting discussion point than a uh, motivation. Yeah, that's true. And it, it, I like his little monologue on it, and I I don't mind like the him and his son kind of teaming up in a way. But I think that they needed to bind them together in a more interesting way than just we showed you why he hates her and we showed you why he hates her. They're together now. Yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this movie. It's totally competent, but it's it the the canonicity is low, and it's not spooky, but it's also not really funny. So it's, it, but it's entertaining enough for eighty five minutes. Like it works on that level. But uh, what I would mostly say is like sort of a, a capper on it is that like I don't think I don't think canon is as good at at intimate horror. As they are at epic horror. Yeah. Like a life force or a ninja three domination. Like they work better because they try and blow everything up so big. Yet they still have that sort of canon house style. Uh, canon is better at making action movies for this reason. Like they action movies don't need the sort of intimacy that horror movies have. And I think canon movies work better when they're pushing up against the limits of a budget. Because the creative ways that they solve for that are... Unlike the creative ways that most movies solve for it. They're incredibly revealing. Yeah, and this movie probably had no issue hitting its budget because there's just nothing there's just nothing on screen here. Like maybe some fake blood, an elevator scene. And very little fake blood. Their bud budget was probably fifteen bucks. Yeah, their ma- their their unrelated mask budget was probably higher than their blood budget. Which is always, in a slasher, it's always disconcerting. So, so yeah, I mean, this it, it's kind of weird to be like, at the very end, sound like we're down on it. We're not down on it. It's just, this is kind of a weird entry for us where it's like, yeah, it's a movie. You can watch it. Eventually, we were going to hit one of these. A, th- a solid three out of five. Yep, it's, yep, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to um, help you. It's just going to be a okay way to spend 80 minutes. In glorious SD. <laughs> <laughs> compact that shit yeah i uh can you believe there was a time where like when you used to watch a movie and it didn't say this film has been formatted to fit your screen you're like fuck i got the wrong one i don't know yeah. if you remember that so much for the vhs era but i love that there used to be a job that was common that's like all right they don't need to see this part of the movie they don't need to see this part of the movie they want to see this part of the movie <laughs> it's such a weird it's such a weird time to think about because and yet, I know very smart people who I remember remarking about the the black bars yeah. on TVs like uh, for widescreen. I remember very smart people bitching about that. I used to hate it until someone's like, well, here's why it's like that. And then it was like, it took a two-sentence explanation for me to be like, oh, I never want to watch a movie that doesn't have black bars. Yeah, like, you, you, you just lost 40% of the movie. Yeah, the movie's just gone. I watched yeah. one 30 or 45 second YouTube video and I was like, converted, good. Yeah. So anyways, so yeah, it is a weird way to end the year. Um, like most New Year's parties, you think they're going to be awesome and exciting and then they just kind of whimper out and you have nothing but shame. Yeah, that's that's about that's about it. You get a little momentarily excited and then uh, you uh, have to sort of whimper out. Yep. But yeah, so I, I, what I want to say is, I before we sort of transition into the, the, the final administrative notes, yeah, thank you guys for listening with us since last, uh, was it March? April. 
since last April. Thank you very much for listening with us and that uh, we really appreciate all, all of you guys listening and that it's been a blast putting together a show and we hope that you are excited about what we have to offer for 2017 and hopefully we can be a distraction that can help numb you from the horrors <laughs> of the Trump presidency. Yeah, you know, this has been this has been so amazing, you guys. Um you know, we we joke around a lot, but you have you know, when we started doing this, I was like, well, if 10 people listen a week, great. That's yeah. cuz we we just we were like, you know, it's it sounds selfish, but it's true. Like it kind of facilitates a creative need that I think Peter and I both had. We, we like the format of podcasting, so even though there's a, a million jokes about, oh, another movie podcast, it's like, well, you know, maybe we can make one that some people enjoy. And the fact that we, we do get way more than 10 listeners every week... You know, it's awesome. Like we 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 love that you guys have enjoyed listening to us. I think I think this will end up being like close to our fortieth episode, um, and we we have so many more months planned and guests booked. And uh, yeah, it's been amazing. And and again, sincere thanks to uh, my co-host as well. Uh, it's been an amazing year. Um, I can't believe uh, how this this became this started as a like okay we're gonna do this this week and now it feels like part of my routine so the fact that we're gonna go a month uh and not record while these episodes that we've pre-recorded release is gonna be super weird i'm very much looking forward to january 10th and jumping back on to talk about a movie with you peter i'm the same way dude it's gonna be very very weird to take this much time off but i'm glad that we sort of built this in so we can come back fresh and uh yeah man i i it's been a blast putting this together i'm not tired yet yeah that's good um it's the saddest thing is going to be happening if one of us burn out first oh so i guess we can't do it anymore oh Oh, all right that's a bit that's a that's gonna be our first friend fight yeah like what (laughs) do you mean (laughs) Um, if if that happens one of us should do uh, try to do an episode on our own as the finale (laughs) <laughs> the saddest last episode of all time yeah so thank you so much uh yeah we're, we're ready to announce next month uh we're all booked up so the second week in january uh we're gonna be joined by elizabeth lundberg who had to cancel due to illness for a super mario episode and she'll be joining us to talk about jim kata because our oh because our theme for the month of january guys is motherfucking ninjas <laughs> Oh, what kind of ninjas? Motherfucking ninjas. <laughs> what variety of ninjas are you saying? Uh, they're the ones that fuck mothers. <laughs> oh, awesome. With, with their karate chops. And do, you have pro- do, you, do you not want to use motherfucking ninjas? No, I would love to use motherfucking ninjas. Great. So after that, we're going to be doing uh, 1990s uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live action movie, uh, which is also sort of a, a nostalgia pick for both of us. Except uh, I watch it constantly. Yeah, and then after that is going to be Ninja 3 Domination, another canon movie with Dustin Kosky, return guest. And uh, Dustin will be joined by his brother uh, Adam Kosky, uh, who was uh, with us as well in the Fantastic Planet episode. So, uh, yeah, we're very excited to have them both back. That was a fun episode to have four people uh, in the, the room, so to speak, because everybody kind of had different energy, and it was it was just a very... It's a very interesting episode for us. Uh, it was a lot of fun to record. Yeah, and I'm I I haven't seen Ninja Three or Jimkata for that matter. So um, I like starting out the year with some new stuff, and then a movie that I have continued to watch way too far into adulthood. 
So happy new year, guys. Here's to a great 2017. Keep watching those films. Keep on watching in the free world. Keep on reeling away real time with Bill Maher. <laughs> Do not go don't real watch, time with Bill Don't watch real time with Bill Maher. Uh, in watch, 2017, commit yourself to not watching real yeah, time don't, with Bill Yeah, Maher. don't watch real time, guys. And also, if uh, Michael Moore released a new movie, don't watch it. New no-nos. Don't <laughs> new watch no. Bill Maher. New rule. Don't watch Real Time with Bill Maher. New rule. Don't take comedy bang bang uh, <laughs> jokes like... God, I'm just fucking fading right now. Good night. Good night. <laughs> folks thanks for listening to we love to watch if you want to get in touch with us please reach out to us at either our website wltwpodcast.com or our facebook group facebook.com backslash we love to watch and uh yeah reach out to us give us some feedback give us some support uh, suggest movies for the show all that we are also available on soundcloud tune in stitcher and itunes thanks for listening